Software supply chain security is a major challenge in the modern engineering environment. Many teams are working to establish best practices to proactively identify, fix, and prevent risks in their applications. Apiro is a platform designed to solve this problem and gives risk visibility, prioritization, and remediation. Jonathan Elder is the co-founder and CTO at Apiro, and he joins the podcast to talk about the platform, application security posture management, and more. Gregor Vand is a security-focused technologist and is the founder and CTO of MailPass. Previously, Gregor was a CTO across cybersecurity, cyber insurance, and general software engineering companies. He has been based in Asia-Pacific for almost a decade and can be found via his profile at vand.hk. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for being on Software Engineering Daily. Hi, Gregor. Thanks for having me. So, Jonathan, it's great to have you here. You are the co-founder of Apiro. So, could you, you know, maybe just describe, like, what is your background and, you know, how did you find yourself co-founding Apiro? Sure. So, my background, I'm a developer for the last 20 years, which makes it half of my life, which is kind of scary. Most of my career has been around cybersecurity. And, well, it was like five years ago and more. I've worked with Idan, who is my co-founder and CEO of Apiro, on his previous startup called Arato, which was acquired by Microsoft. And we worked together there at the startup phase, and then we entered Microsoft, and we grew and we grew, and we faced a lot of challenges. We tried to run as fast as we can inside the big corp without cutting corners and making things work well. And it was like 2015, cloud was really booming all around and inside Microsoft as well. Microsoft was pushing Azure, but no one really knew how to balance speed of development and security, AppSec specifically. And the tools weren't there, the approach, the processes weren't there. Many of the processes were like old world processes, maybe more waterfally and mostly manual, trying to deliver to the cloud every day or even every week with us having to fill out a form or doing like questionnaires and, and stuff like that. It didn't fly. And in, on the personal note, right, Idan is a group manager. He led the business and myself as an engineering manager. It wasn't fun. It was depressing knowing that like a better part of my week was bureaucracy and uh, trying to shield like my team from boring tasks of going through endless lists of vulnerabilities without context, without, without any guidance on what they should be doing. There are worse things in life, but it's no way to run fast and, and deliver value to customers. So this was our experience inside Microsoft, by the way, which was a good, like Microsoft was a really good experience for us. We, like I personally learned a lot, but during this journey, we felt that the AppSec market needs, needs a jolt in the system. And then we started Apiro. We validated with a lot of companies uh, in the fintech world, in like banks, like big companies, smaller companies. And we saw that everyone faced the same struggle too many vulnerabilities, too much noise, too many repositories to control, 
too many developers to know who is doing what, who is responsible for this thing, for that thing. And we knew that a change is coming in the market. And a few years after we started, Gartner coined a new abbreviation called ASPM and, and everyone started to see that this is the direction to go. So maybe this is like I summarized a few years of my life, but it's still a long answer to how we got to start up here. I think that's really interesting. And, and, you know, I'm glad you did kind of cover all those. I imagine a lot of people listening can relate very closely to what you've just been saying. And I imagine also for many that they're relating today with what you're saying, that a lot of things you're saying, you know, that was frustrating and that was frustrating is actually the present tense for a lot of people listening today. That probably leads quite kind of nicely into, you know, I guess where you've probably gone with Apiro, but, you know, let's just give us at a high level, you know, what does a Apiro do and why would a developer be interested in sort of going with a platform and, and indeed maybe also a, an engineering manager as well? Okay, so these are two connected topics that are, I'll start with the one and, and then the other. So ASPM in general is trying to provide a holistic view AppSec view into what you have in your organization, not an aggregation of siloed tools. For 20-something years, we've had SaaS tools, various SaaS tools, uh, scanning for vulnerabilities. In the last 10 years or so, we've had SCA tools doing the same thing for open source code. And lately, other tools like API security and software supply chain, and there are many organizations that have dozens of tools. So the first like fresh perspective that started maybe with ASOC a while back is getting like complete view of everything in one single source of truth. And it's not a single, like I'm saying source of truth and not single pane of glass, which is a term that I don't like because shoving everything into one pane of glass and fighting uh, a table with 100,000 rows, it's not a holistic view, it's, it's noise. So I think the main thing is the having visibility into everything, but with a prioritized approach. So, and by the way, like prioritized approach doesn't mean that a Piro or someone else knows the, the priority for everyone. It depends. An engineering manager might have his or her priority which might differ from the like the main AppSec person of a company, like overarching the entire company. They might have a different priority. The priority might even change over time. Let's say the classic example is in my organization, there's an audit coming our way from GDPR and privacy is a focus area for me. Okay, so I need to make privacy better at my company right now. So my priorities, like let's say when using a Piro, I will filter, I will find, I will trigger actions based on that priority. So I think this is like the most important thing, like having everything in one place prioritized. What makes us different is a Piro is doing like deep ASPM. We are not just taking signals from different vendors and maybe trying to correlate them or sorting them in a smart way, Apiro analyzes all the code. Every commit, every pull request, going back years, live, every pull request that is being opened right now, and everything is connected. Like we have a huge graph with 
the developer data, the commit data, and it's real code, right? So if, let's say, I'll give you an example. Let's say that we connect, like a customer is using a Piro and they're also connecting like a third-party SaaS tool, okay? That might detect something that a Piro does not detect, like some special language vulnerabilities. In which case, a Piro will correlate every vulnerability that SaaS tool detected to the code base, everything that we detected in that code base, whether it be an API and everything that we know about the API, which might include what goes on in runtime from the API gateway that they're using, et cetera, et cetera. It will correlate to the actions of the developer. It will correlate to software supply chain security issues that we detected. If there's a secret that is valid and is exposed in that specific repository, I can go on and on. So everything is connected deeply into the code, not just you know with a foreign key to a different table or something like that. Which brings me, I think, to your second question is, why do I care as a developer or an engineering manager? So I have two answers for that, one direct and one indirect. So as a developer, I always answer, it depends (laughs) on every question, but it really depends on your organization. If you are a developer in, like, let's say, a big bank with uh, 20K developers, or if you are a developer or a team lead in a 100 developer shop, your processes, like your day-to-day work is different, right? But in general, let's say your organization hasn't, quote, shifted left, right? So there's the AppSec person who's doing weird things and once in every whatever, they come into your room and they say, hey, there is a problem, deal with that problem. In that case, what Apiro provides is clear context. So the AppSec person, let's say the developer is not even aware of Apiro. The AppSec person, when they come to you, Gregor, and say, hey, there's a critical vulnerability in that API, they come to you with a direct link to that API in GitHub, in Bitbucket, in GitLab, whatever you're working with. They come with the entire context, when it was introduced, what is the risk, is it impactful or not, and you know what you have to do. And you can even say, hey, I understand what you're saying, but it's irrelevant because we are planning on removing that API tomorrow, just as an example. But you can say it clearly and not spend two hours like researching and then saying the, the same thing. So... I said, like, Apiro saved you two hours in that case. So there are organizations where that story happens daily to a lot of people. So the time savings are enormous in that case. So this is like the classic, less bureaucracy for me as a developer, classic story. For more advanced companies that can and are willing to automate things, okay, we're helping in safe shift left. Like shift left is maybe a loaded term somewhat because I'm not sure if I can say the different variation of shift left, but you can imagine. People often are pushing more responsibility to like left, to the developer, let's say, but without helping them, without providing them the right tools, without providing them with the power to do things to, let's say, 
override if your tool says this is wrong. You can't really shift left without allowing the developer to say, hey, I understand that you detected the risk, but this is irrelevant because yada yada. So shift left like has a somewhat problematic history in the industry. So in our case, what we like to do is integrate into the pull request, which is this is the place where developers live nowadays at least. And at first provide very clear context as a workflow on the pull request. So let's say, Gregor, you've opened a pull request that adds, like makes a change to an API. And the PRO has detected that something is wrong with that change. Let's say you've exposed PII data. Let's say even this is fine, okay? It's fine that that API exposed the PII externally, but it requires a review even more than just like, if you've entered some white space, it still requires a review, right? So this, going back to privacy, exposing user PII data, it requires a review. So a Piro can add a reviewer, it can comment on the pull request with all the relevant data. So you are, first, you as a developer are aware. People are not always aware of what they're doing, either by you know neglecting to notice or sometimes it's really, really hard to connect the dots. Pira has the benefit of being run by a computer that can do a lot of things really fast. So this is a really common integration that we see. I mean, Apiro is, it's covering a lot of bases and things like, you've mentioned the API piece and I want to come back to that. It covers supply chain security as well. We've had a couple of episodes on that recently as well. So yeah, there's a couple of things you mentioned that are really interesting. Shift left, obviously that's an interesting one. And I think every developer out there has their own relationship to what that kind of means for them based on the company they're in. I think the fact that you've also mentioned, especially from your previous experience, you know, just this whole idea of the speed at which things can be shipped versus the security piece. I think that's always been one of the biggest challenges around security and developers because there's often a power imbalance when it comes to who gets the final say on when something needs to get shipped, you know, et cetera. So I think the API piece, that's a really interesting one. Maybe we could just dive into that a little bit more. I'd love to understand, because this has always been, you know, as a developer, as a CTO, this has always been an area that I would have always loved to have had more control over, which was API security, effectively. It sounds like Apiro is doing that pretty fantastically. Apiro has access to the repositories. We will also maybe talk about the access piece in a little bit, but it's got access to everything. How is Apiro really analyzing the API and analyzing that against given security threats and are they, you know, historic, current, how current, like, could you maybe just speak to that a little bit? Sure. So first you've mentioned the social control managers. I think it is important to understand that maybe we'll dive deeper later, but Apiro connects to every source control manager you have via an API. So Apiro has visibility into the code base, like the main branch, feature branches, pull request branches, etc. So this is like the bread and butter for Apiro for identifying and analyzing APIs. You could augment that, and many customers of ours do, with data from runtime, from the API gateways, from the cloud vendor, I mean, from Kubernetes, from other tools, and then the data gets richer. And when you're looking at an API, you have more data and you can correlate 
APIs with different things, right? So Apiro, first and foremost, which is, it might sound trivial <laughs> to the untrained ear, but Apiro provides visibility into all the APIs. So just the plain listing of which APIs do I have and where. This is really important. Like, by the way, I was amazed from by more basic things that companies were not aware of. I sat with, let's say, a 600 developer company, and I sat with their CTO and CISO and, and other managers, and they couldn't agree on how many developers they have they had at the time. Like the answers varied 100% or more. And digging deeper, they were surprised by Apiro detecting that they are using in production MongoDB and not just SQL Server. This is just the one example. So the various technologies that they are using. And to our example, APIs is something that it's really hard to keep track of. Really hard. What's get, post, delete, something that is connected to this database, to that database. Is it exposed to the internet? Is it internal between, like a REST API between microservices? Is it secured? Is it authenticated or not? All this is really hard to know in an organization, especially a segregated organization. Like imagine a, a larger organization that has made acquisitions, or in any case has both GitHub in the cloud and Bitbucket on-prem, and people are not talking to each other. So they might have identical APIs deployed in different sides of, of the organizations. So for every API, we can identify its route, which is not always easy because usually in Go and Python and C-sharp and Java and Node, there are a bazillion ways of defining APIs. And oftentimes part of the routes are defined in a base controller thing and the API itself is parameterized. All sorts of weird uh, dynamic things are going on there. So we build out that route from our deep analysis of the code. And given that, what sounds basic, but the basic list of APIs, we correlate it to everything else. Where is it deployed? What risks are behind it? whether it be open source risks or vulnerabilities in the code itself, if there is an exposed secret in that is returned by an API that is unauthenticated, we've seen that. It's an obvious place to start your digging and remediation, right? Do that before you go and investigate some generic API, right? So this is our approach to API security. We've come a long way the last four years, we started with discovery, which again is really important, but now we've gone really, really deep into correlating these APIs with everything else that we have in our graph. Got it. So yeah, that's just those sort of last couple of points that the fact that you, you start with discovery and then now going deeper, this sort of getting, you know, and I, th I think, as you said, you categorize yourself as really deep ASPM. I would sort of, I guess, interpret the deep part as access, which is that you do have access to more perhaps than other platforms get access to. Maybe just, do you want to just talk through how with an organization, what kind of access are they giving? You know, and how easy is that? What kind of even, we've got listeners from large, large organizations to startups, what sort of even legal considerations might they need to think about that they have to get 
approvals say to use Apira? Yeah, that's my life. So in our previous startup, in Arato, it was a network security product, 2013, 14, 15. Cloud was not there yet at the time. We even sold appliances to customers that ran the product in their, you know, New York basement of the bank. But like network analysis and stuff like that is really, really hard to deploy and to connect. It's really sensitive. In our case, code is sensitive as well, but our deployment is much easier. We are connecting to source control managers via an API. So it differs between GitHub and Bitbucket. And even we support even Perforce, not only Git-based source control managers, but they differ on their permissions model and stuff like that. But we've put a lot of energy into deeply integrating into the various APIs of Bitbucket and GitLab and GitHub and and the others, both cloud and on-prem to give the flexibility to the customer. So let's say you are a GitHub-based organization. You have full control into what you expose to Apiro. You might define a token that has access, read access to everything and give it to Apiro. It should take less than a minute to connect. You give the URL, github.com slash myorg. I give the token and then Apiro starts to analyze. You can see the dashboards lighting up in a few minutes and full analysis of all repositories, at least the latest status of all repositories, depending on your organization in a few hours or maybe even a day if you have 800k repositories. So this is really, really easy to do. We have customers that use RBAC model, like they've added roles into their organization. They have two people that they are admins and they have sub-organizations and we've divided scope to each organization. So even you've seen, like I've shown you before, our explorer that can go and explore all the risks, all the code, all the elements that exist in the code repositories. So in that case, in my example organization that I'm describing, like John from org A can't see whatever from org B, right? So this is really, really important for us to give confidence to the customer that you're not exposing anything you shouldn't be exposing. We have one customer that has some of their code base they are really, really afraid of exposing. And okay, they don't grant access to those repositories. It's fine. That's their consideration. We give full control of what you have access to, to the customer. And we have, I think most of our customers even, what they're doing is they providing a token to a GitHub organization, let's say, and they check the box of, auto-monitor every new repository that is being added. This gives a lot of confidence. This is the other kind of confidence that they're not surprised that, hey, a month ago, someone added a new repository and is now exposed to the internet with customer data or with internal data. It's like Jurassic Park with the frogs. (laughs) Like no one was keeping track of new dinosaurs being born in the park. So this is a really important use case for us to discover new assets being created. So I'm curious, just off the back of kind of what you've just been explaining, I could be making a wrong assumption here, but it sounds like it was sort of the enterprise use case that was sort of front of mind when 
Apiro started. Maybe that isn't the case, but equally what has been the sort of order of events, so to speak, with the types of and the sizes of companies that's used Apiro. Sure. So we've started with both enterprise companies, like really large companies, and smaller companies, like let's say mid-enterprise. For the purpose of us being efficient, we didn't work a lot with small companies, like less than 100 developers. In these cases, such companies are not yet mature enough with their security posture. Like they don't really know what they want yet. I'm speaking as a startup person myself, right? And oftentimes it takes them time to figure out those things. So we started with more mature companies that can grow with us and with the larger enterprises. By the way, this brought us challenges that we've already dealt with in the past, but still three, four years ago, even now, larger companies are not yet cloud-based. Even if like all companies want to be cloud-based, but the transition is still going on. It's not easy for them. And we're helping to facilitate that. Right. So for many companies that were 100% on-prem and they're starting the transition to the cloud, meaning moving their code base to the cloud, not only their payloads in AWS or whatever, for them, we've helped to facilitate that. Know that we monitor and help you secure both your code on-prem and in the cloud. So... This is why from day one, we supported our deployment both as SaaS and on-prem, which is like every developer listening knows that this is a challenge. So we are Kubernetes-based. We can run anywhere. Obviously, I enjoy running in the cloud more. (laughs) It's easier for us to bring uh, best-of-class support to customers. It is easier for us to be proactive and see if we have some bug somewhere or something is not performing right, on-prem is harder in that sense. But we knew that many customers, it would be challenging for them to have all their code on-prem, but Apiro analyzing the code in the cloud. By the way, we've developed like a broker solution to help that transition and analyze code from the cloud, glancing into the code on-prem. It is hyper secure and obviously it's opt-in, like the customer with their security teams. It's a process of approval and making sure the tunnel is properly secured, etc. But we do support that as well. So answering your question, both enterprise and smaller companies, each has their own characteristics. And we've learned a lot from small companies like 100 developer companies and large enterprise. And I think our largest customers gained a lot of value from what we've learned from smaller companies, our agility, like analyzing their new and modern assets that a year later came into the larger enterprises. Gen AI is just the one example (laughs) that came lately. And the other way around, like, our scale that we've built with an 800K repository shop has helped us be faster for a 500 repository shop. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting how a sort of a Piro sits in that 
in not exactly a unique position, but a fairly niche position actually where kind of what you've just said, what you learn from the smaller companies actually is going to help your much larger clients because you're trying to to say, well, if you want to work at that agility, then from the small to the large, where you want to work at that agility, then this is kind of what we've seen and how we can help you. And then consequently, if you're a smaller shop, but you shouldn't need a lot of the controls and security that much larger companies have, this is something that Apiro can then cross-reference, which is very cool. So yeah, let's just touch on something you also mentioned there, which was you know AI. I mean, how can we ignore that? So how have LLMs, AI generally, that I imagine had a bit of an impact on how Apiro operates? So maybe you want to just speak a bit to sort of how has that affected how the Apiro platform has developed in that time and sort of what is being checked, so to speak, in that area? Sure. Two answers. So internally, we do a lot of research inside the Piro. We've been analyzing code for almost five years now using various methods. And we have researchers here, myself included, that have been analyzing code like going back years. The LLM approach is new and exciting, and we are doing all sorts of things right now with LLM. By the way, it's easy for a lot of people to imagine, hey, take something, throw it on an LLM in ChatGPT, get an answer, ship it, you're done. This is not the case. Usually we are very conscious, first and foremost, on privacy for our customers. We won't, we will never send customer code to a third party, OpenAI, whatever service. This is really dangerous and customers have expressed their concern about this thing. Like, tell me that OpenAI doesn't train their models on my code base, right? People are very concerned about that. So first and foremost, privacy of our customers. Then there's the, can an LLM model solve a problem? And then scale and cost, right? If you're using for a certain task, LLM, like a third party, there's unit economics involved and we are analyzing every pull request, every code base, yada, yada. You can't really do that at scale and, and have it be with, uh, with cost in mind. So we're doing a lot of exciting research. We are developing internally like models that can solve specific problems. We're not solving like general purpose AI right now, but specific models that can solve specific tasks. We're doing really exciting things. So this is my first answer. It's a really interesting time analyzing code right now. And my second answer, like customers, and we see that, we see customers really afraid of what's going on in their code base. Who is writing my code? Is it John? Is it Gregor? Or is it some AI that has learned how to develop against my interests for my competitor or something like that? Does my intellectual property leak to... Copilot, OpenAI, whatever. Every customer, even those who forbid their developers using ChatGPT and the like, every customer environment, we see developers using GenAI frameworks. Every customer. I know that because Apiro, among other things, detects technologies. If you're using MongoDB, if you're using this web api framework or that one 
And if you're using clients for OpenAI, for whatever, some other things as well. And like the same answer that I gave you earlier about APIs, like API security and how we correlate it to different things inside our graph, in this case as well. So if in a certain repository, someone is calling out to OpenAI to detect something, this is exposed to the internet in a really like specific way. But if this repository is also like has exposed secrets or the repository has a third party developer that it has write permissions into that repository, then this is what we sometimes we call toxic combination, right? So often a risk on its own is not really relevant, right? Okay, so they're using OpenAI, it's fine. But if from the source control manager governance perspective, you're not tight enough, you have like all developers have admin privileges or there's a third-party developer or there is no branch protection, you can force push whatever you want into that repository. If you combine this and that and the other, it might be really, really problematic and actionable by some hacker or even by mistake. If, you know, as a developer, you might expose something that like you didn't know that could even happen. You just might expose something really important to the company. Yeah. So let's just switch gears a little bit. Just the software supply chain security aspect of things. So, you know, Apiro deals with SBOMs, that amazing acronym that is thrown around a lot now, you know, so software bill of materials. But I noticed that Apiro has kind of taken that to a new level, XBOMs. So could you maybe speak a bit to XBOMs? And I'm also curious, given there's a bit of talk around regulation on this, has that been also of any influence to the approach that Apiro is taking and how might a current or potential user of Apiro be able to use it, you know, in conjunction with anything that's that's coming in? Sure. So XBOM, which is an evolution of SBOM, which is derivative maybe of bill of materials that I opened a container of a shipment from whatever, and I know what's inside or what's supposedly inside. So in software bill of material, if anyone who's listens don't know, you're declaring what's inside. Okay? If you're supplying something to a customer as a vendor, you want to provide it maybe with a software bill of material where you say these are the open source components that you get alongside my solution, etc. Maybe with its vulnerabilities. So this is like the basic thing. And this is not always true. And we're working hard on having it be live and accurate. So in a period, you can go to any repository or application. In a period, you can define an application using three modules from that repository and two other repositories, yada, yada. So you can go to an application and click a button and download a live XBOM, like SBOM, which has everything which is related to the inventory. This is our term, in inventory, of that specific application. Okay, The list of APIs, the open source packages, vulnerabilities, like all the dots are connected. So this is really, really important for it to be live and accurate, up to date, with not only open source packages lists, rather everything that we've discussed thus far goes into that. This is really, really 
important for various use cases where customers are maybe acquiring a company and ingesting like one day they have 10k more repositories what's going on there so we can download the xbomb using like various like known formats that exists already in the industry or you can go in the UI to the inventory of a certain application or repository and you can filter you can browse you can see a graph you can explore you can investigate show me all the open source packages that have a certain license GPL etc 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 so this is really really strong it's really really valuable lately to your question lately President Biden added a regulation with sbom and it trickles down from the larger companies like the regulated banks and and healthcare and such companies to provide the sbom to their companies and demand sbom from their vendors yada so it it starts to trickle down to less regulated companies because it becomes a thing that you do and we are working hard on providing like accurate exports of xbom from all the assets you have yeah I think it's exactly platforms like Apiro that are going to provide so much value in this area. You know, personally, just from where I sit, I see this only getting more regulated, more looked at from not just the company level, but the government level, or at the very least, the sort of the industry level, you know, industry watchdog saying, if you're an X type of company, you're going to have to do X, Y, Z, or you're out the club kind of thing. So yeah, I think, you know, an Apiro... platform is only going to be effectively required by actually a lot of companies in this way so if we just sort of look to day zero day one of using a piro I want to look at this maybe more from the developer perspective I can imagine engineering managers CISOs they're a hundred percent on board with a piro developers maybe I can imagine there's maybe some that sort of are shown the platform on day one and they go oh my goodness there's so much to look at here where do I start is this like a super nanny platform my answer will surprise you <laughs> I can't wait to hear the answer yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to show the platform on day one to a developer it's a mistake right. I'm saying that as a developer don't introduce another tool to me <laughs> forget it let me just do my thing if there's a new process you need to justify it right so I'm talking as Yonatan right now as a developer. I want to create value. I want to solve a bug. I want to make something work more reliably. I want to make something work faster. I want to develop features. This is what I want to do. Everything else needs to be justified. This is my take as a developer, right? Obviously, it might be naive for the entire company to think like that because there are concerns. There are regulations. There's compliance. There's... actual security right which developers do care about but me as a developer I can't take ownership for 10,000 developers it's not possible so to your question developers need tools and processes that are I don't know 99% accurate like a developer is used to a compiler if IntelliJ or whatever Visual Studio whatever ID you're using is you giving you 50% accuracy on if your code compiles, you won't use that tool, okay? And taking it to our space, when we start working with a customer, we start by mapping out with their AppSec team what they want to achieve. 
Are they focused on remediation of certain types of secrets? How familiar are they with what they have? Do they need to focus on visibility and do some exploration for a few months? Every customer has their own priorities in that sense. And after they did that, if they are mature enough in terms of what they identify and what they want to remediate, then they can select to create a workflow. It's really easy, but create a workflow that comments on the pull request. Okay? And this way they get introduced, these new processes get introduced to the developers. And only then when they have trust, only then maybe introduce the, the more advanced process of blocking the pull request. But even then, they would block the pull request from being merged only if a very high certainty criteria is being met. Not like blindly everything, <laughs> if there is any risk, block the pull request because this would halt an organization. You don't want to do that. So they're starting with what they are certain of, rinse and repeat. So this is our approach of working with developers and we are developers, I'm a developer. It's really, really important to gain that trust and not just impose a certain process on all developers at once. Yeah, I think that's been evident. Just everything you've sort of said today about Apiro, it's clear that this has come from a very developer first place even though as you said and it you know of course it does sound surprising initially oh you know it's not the developer who's going to see this first that that isn't the sort of person who's probably going to take look at this first but unless it has been thought of from that perspective this doesn't work and it's probably actually where a lot of i imagine other platforms companies have tried something in this area and have probably taken the other side and that's not yeah for sure i won't give examples fail. but yeah Exactly. Yeah. Why they fail. This has been such an interesting conversation and I'm sure everybody listening, they're just hopefully wanting to take a look at Apiro and get their company involved. What's the best way for, you know, if a company isn't using Apiro now, like where should they go? Who should they, you know, reach out to, to talk more? Yeah. I think the easiest way is Apiro.com. <laughs> it's really... It's a short domain. <laughs> it's easy to request a demo, start talking to us. I'm available as well. Other people in Apiro would gladly take a conversation and introduce Apiro to anyone. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's apiro.com. That's A-P-I-I-R-O.com. Yeah, exactly. Yonatan, this has been awesome. Really enjoyed speaking with you. And I love the platform, I'm not going to lie. So I wish you guys all the best. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well.